Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and baseless opinion. My name is Shock Jock Scott Magnus, and I'm here with my color commentator, my big boy, Jake English. Today is May 12th, 2014. This is episode 77, and you can find us at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com, Baltimore Sports Report Network at baltimoresportsreport.com slash network. You should also be following us on Miro, Stitcher, Double Twist, and iTunes, and we'll get to that later. Um, you should also be following us on social media at Twitter at BirdseyeViewBAL, Facebook.com slash BVCast, Google Plus, YouTube. Anywhere else I'm missing, Jake? Uh, nothing important, no. Okay. Speaking of finding us in other places, we have been appearing on the Post Game Live on channel BSR. So after the games on Tuesdays and Thursdays and nights, Go over to Baltimore Sports Report. Go and type in baltimoresportsreport.com slash live, and you will see our lovely, beautiful, sexy faces our, on Tuesdays and Thursday nights. Our made-for-radio faces. Scott, it's not just you and I. It's a lot of the other talent from the Baltimore Sports Report network. And uh, basically, if you can't make it for the uh, for the post-game show, if you, uh, if you work early and you can't make it uh, late for the show, it's also available on iTunes, on Channel BSR. Uh, on iTunes, listen to me. It's also available on YouTube yes. at Channel BSR. You can also uh, catch it at uh, BSR. They usually uh, throw a post up after that. I know that you and I were on together for the last one. Uh, what we usually try to do is mix up the hosts from the different shows so you don't get uh, basically your standard podcast and video format. Right. So the only other thing I want to mention is go to our website, go to the Amazon link, click it. Buy some stuff for, you know, Mother's Day since you probably missed it. And, um, you know, make your mom happy. Make anyone happy. We're not picky. Just go. If you're going to spend money anyway, do it there. Uh, it really helps us keep the lights on here, and we greatly appreciate it. So, all, right, all right. Enough of the advertisement, yes, Scott. Thank you. Let's talk about alcohol. What is your drink of the week? Sure. I'm going with a Flying Dog Single Hop Amarillo uh, Imperial IPA. That sounds like a very prestigious uh, beer, and I can tell by the long name. I am drinking a Natty Bow. Okay. Now, I know yesterday you had the other offering from Flying Dog, which was the Old Bay Summer Ale. Thoughts, opinions? I know they covered it briefly yesterday on the BSR podcast, but what were your thoughts? I really liked it. Um, first, a shout-out to Jason, who sits with us in our season ticket plan. He uh, he had a beer ready for me as he walked up the steps, which was greatly appreciated because we were there with our kids who were um, trying desperately to make us crazy. But um, I, I thought the beer was great. I thought that it was uh, 
It was a nice summer ale. It was it was a good, and you could definitely taste the Old Bay. That's what I was afraid of. Mm-hmm. That it was just nominally with the Old Bay, but it you could you could definitely taste it. So I two thumbs up from this guy right here. So definitely something to drink with some crabs one day. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Not just crabs. I mean anything that you're gonna eat and anything that you use Old Bay on. I mean think about it, Old Bay fries. Right. So if there was a keg on my porch and there were crabs, you'd come over to my house. Yes. Okay. If, if there was a keg. And crabs on your porch, you could not get me to leave. Okay. That's, that's fine. What if there's Orioles baseball playing in the background? Wow. This is going to get messy in a hurry. Before this gets awkward, Scott, I feel like we should get deep into the twat. Okay. Let's go to the twat, everybody, this week on the Twitter. So the first thing we're going to touch about is some perspective from at O Sunglass Guy. And uh, we were talking about yesterday's loss to the Houston Astros, and it was... Uh, his comment was, the loss sucks, but we'll have to see what is made of these next seven games. I'd be happy with going four and three over the next seven, which I think is appropriate. You know, I think everyone really blew out um, yesterday's loss out of proportion. They always had won five in a row, and I think everyone's like, well, now we can take the sweep because it's just the lonely Astros. But if, if you look at it, you know, if you take two out of three from the Astros, that's still a good performance. That's what the Tigers had taken last week as well. So I can't, I don't understand this, you know, opinion of oh my god we lost to the astros it's all over we had the same opinion last year too where we lost games to the astros and never won absolutely lost their mind yeah the other thing to keep in mind is that they're major league ball players too you're not assured a sweep i'm also a little sensitive to the fact that when we play teams like the astros who are not expected to be quite that good we were there once Mm -hmm. and and i feel like at a certain level i need to be somewhat respectful of their fan base because you know when your team is not very good that other teams are circling you on the calendar so that they can get a get-well series. And and we have been that far too long. I've got a a very dear friend of mine who is a Houston native. His name is Gabe, and I I sent him a text. I'm sorry, Gabe. (laughs) But one of the things I said for him is that, you know, it's important for, you know, clubs like the Astros to be good. It's good for baseball, and it's it's better for a good baseball town. We're all about competitive balance. That's right. But, I mean— even if you look at it, if you were to play a triple-A ball game every single time, there's a 33% chance that that triple-A team would be able to beat a major league team. It's just the you know, you know, luck and draw of baseball. It occasionally happens where the other team is just better than you that night. All right. I want to go and talk about uh, a tweet that we saw from Utah Street Report. That's at Utah Street ST Report. And it was a, it was a picture. It was a, it was a twit pick, if twit you will. Twit pick, yeah. Um, but it was a picture of the guy that got yelled at in the second row uh, behind home plate for using the flash on his cell phone. Now, this was Saturday night's game after the 55-minute rain delay where everyone was told, come on down. Let's just bring everybody down. You know, there's no need for you guys to stay up there. Just everyone come on down. Let's get this, you know, bring it on down. First of all. Yes. Hooray for the Yes, good job. I think the have really done a good thing here because you and I screamed from the rooftops that that should be the policy. Yes. So I really want to give the a lot of credit here for doing the right thing. But upstairs people, this is why we can't have nice things. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're taking a flash photography and the umpires to come over and say, oh, what are you doing? You're just making yourself look foolish. Okay. So womp, womp. yeah, know where you are and respect where you are. You don't have to be taking a picture of it right when the batter is swinging. Um, let's go on to another tweet. And it was the affirmation of uh, what I was talking about before. And it was a great name for myself. Um, and this was again, posted by at Utah street report. And it was tweet. Also, you guys need separate accounts. Need to know if I'm talking to reasonable Jake or shock jock Scott. I'm perfectly fine being shock jock Scott. I'm perfectly fine being called reasonable because it doesn't happen that often. Um, 
Can I address the whole uh, joint Twitter thing? Sure. A little bit, because we get a lot of crap about this during the week. Um, nobody is interested in what I have to say. And yeah, they're only interested in what I'm saying. Nobody has any interest in what you have to say specifically. I think the only thing that makes this show work is that the fact that it's the both of us and the, the show's Twitter account is the both of us. Uh, and it works on that level. It, it also works for us because it's a lot of work, the tweeting. Again, I come back to when we're talking on this podcast and we're talking on tweet, it's almost a caricature of our true selves. Talking on tweet? Talking on the tweet. <laughs> yeah, talking tweets. All right, old man. Talk yeah. on the tweet. Yeah. But again, we're caricatures of ourselves. So we're not going to post that on our personal Twitter. We're going to post that on Bird's Eye View. Yeah. The other so. thing is that on my personal Twitter, my friends and family don't want incessant updates about the Orioles. Correct. That is not what they want. Otherwise, they would follow an Orioles centric Twitter account like Bird's Eye View. Right. So uh, the other thing is that if it's the middle of the night and I'm up and Scott's asleep because he's a responsible human being, one of us is always tweeting. If uh, if I am tied up and Scott can get to the, the Twitter, it just works. So leave us alone. We've got one account for the show. It works. All right. And with that, um, let's go to the next one, which was Jones had an impressive outing earlier this week with the two home runs in their, his first pitch swinging the first times, where they both went 400 feet plus. So I think he ended up with, I think it was 838 feet total in terms of his home run distances for both those both those balls. It was a lot. So... Uh, our good friend, Carney Cabeza, who posts that at Luchador, posted Luchador, yes, which I'm glad they also got on the Jumbotron, so kudos to him. Um, he posted, De Jesus was in center field, all like Adam Jones, 404, ball not found. Excellent. That's, that's yeah, a that, golf that, clap. That's, right that's a golf clap. We nice like job. That. That, that's just nerdy enough to you know tip our cap and be like, wow, I wish I would have thought about that. All right. Speaking of just nerdy enough for us, I want to give a shout out to the as well as to Eduardo Encina of the Baltimore Sun, who tweets at Eddie in the yard. Um, he took a, a picture of, um, well, we're not really sure who it is. The tweet is as follows. Took notice of these new shirts the <laughs> are wearing in pregame. Bring I'm Flaherty. It's either Flaherty or Low. Bringing back the crowned swinging bird logo. And the back of the shirt reads as follows. Reclaim the crown. And it's just that. It's the swinging bird with the crown uh, from 1967. I think that's great. A little bit of swagger back for a team that hasn't been competitive for a long time and now is swinging for a world championship. I only have one minor gripe with this, and it's where the hell is that shirt and why isn't it in the team store? Yeah, definitely need to be selling this because I guarantee that O's fans would would flock to a shirt like that. Yep, absolutely. You're on notice. Get that shirt on the shelves. We want to buy it. All right, Scott, before we go any further, I want to talk about something that happened this week. I think you know where we're going with this. I think everyone knows where we're going with this. Let's take a deep breath. Let's get ourselves set. We'll come back for it. <sighs> All right. You know that I am called the Count because I really love to... Sometimes I sit and f- all day, <laughs> but uh, sometimes I get carried away. I f- slowly, slowly, slowly getting faster. Once I start in f***ing, it's very hard to stop. Hey, faster, faster, it is so exciting. I could f- forever f- until I drop uh, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, I love 
As I'm sure most people are aware by now, Bird's Eye View was one of the podcasts affected by the action taken by Major League Baseball's advanced media wing last week to remove podcasts from the iTunes store who were in supposed violation of Major League Baseball copyrights. Now, this story is a very complicated one, and there are a lot of things to consider. And the first thing that I want to do is talk about... I need you. Seriously? Sorry, bud. She needs me, so I'll be right back. Dude, I was getting my rant on. I'll come back. I was in mid-rant, Scott. I'm sorry, but we'll come back and we'll knock out this rant, okay? All right. All right. You know, trying to put on a podcast here? All right, well, I guess I'll refresh my drink of the week then. Quick, lock the door. We finally got them out. All right, Birdland, let's get stupid. Oh, wait, not that Wrong podcast. podcast. <laughs> hey, guys, I'm Sarah. I'm Jake's wife. And this is Carrie, my caller commentator, Scotty's wife. In honor of Mother's Day, we've decided to take over SD Studios. For the better part of two years, we've given up our living rooms, our basements, so that the boys can record the conversations that they pretty much have every day of the week. Every day. (laughs) We often refer to ourselves as baseball widows because, let's be honest, we don't see a whole lot of our husbands from April to October. I mean, there's a reason our son was conceived in March. But we love him. We do. And Scotty. And really, you know, summer is a lovely time. Indeed. Hey, Carrie, what you drinking over there? A 2012 Moscato, straight from the box. Oh, classic. Me too. Thanks for sharing. I forgot mine. It's okay. We are always happy to share when the Englishes forget their I was going to say, I'm pretty sure Jake always forgets his too, so I didn't want to break with tradition. So for, I don't know, maybe the first year, maybe a little more of the podcast that the boys run... I had to sit in my bedroom, which happens to be right next to the place where the boys were podcasting, and listen to Scott obsess about the hotness of Brian Roberts' wife. You mean he who shall not be named? Yes. We don't speak that name anymore. I know. Damn. So Carrie and I decided to take over the podcast this evening um, in honor of Mother's Day and throw a bone to all the female listeners out there. More than the two of us? Oh, right. Well, this will be really fun to listen to tomorrow morning on my way to work. Just don't get pulled over, okay? Yeah. I could still kill them for that. (laughs) So we've put together a top five list of the hottest baseball players in Baltimore. One from me and one from Carrie. All right. I'm going to start with my number five. Nick Markakis. But I have to clarify. Nick Markakis, who is groomed appropriately. I think that we were all in a little bit of shock when Nick came up on stage at FanFest this year. I think my favorite tweet of the entire FanFest experience was that he looked a little bit like Ed Reed's homeless brother. (laughs) Nick, you're such a good-looking guy when you cut your hair and you shave your beard. So you're my number five. I Totally agree with you, except for your placement of him in your top five list. He is a hottie. My number five is Matt Wieters. The not injured, always dependable, kind of sexy when he has that far off look in his eyes. Matt Wieters. I could see that. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to take some flack for my number four, but. Oh, dear. I just think there's something about him, and he might be the only 
member of my list who is actually older than I am. I'm going to put my number four as Buck Show Walter. Now, I know <laughs> he's not exactly as appealing as a Marcakis or a Weeders, but there's just something about Buck. He tells it like it is. He seems like a loyal guy, and he likes our guys. So I'm going to go with Buck for my number four. You know, you and Jake have some things in common because he's really a big fan of the older man as well. Ask him about Harrison Ford. I, I will. <laughs> um, that's interesting because I am also going to take some flack for my number four. My number four is a past Oriole who I was pretty much in love with for a long, long time. And now I hate him and I hate him because he wears pinstripes and I'm not allowed to say his name, but Scotty thinks his wife is really hot. And he rhymes with Schmeyan Schmoberts. That would be correct. Number one, B-Rob. I miss him. I'm still mourning him a little. And I also still hope he gets injured again. Well, I don't know how you could be mourning him. I mean, he is a little bit older and he does wear pinstripes and you have <clears throat> people like my number three. J. J. Hardy. No effing way. Was he also your number three? He is also my number three. See, I would have thought that he was going to be your number one. And mm, here's why. I do love him. When Sarah and I were at FanFest, <laughs> we were just walking through the crowds, and all of a sudden, Sarah veers off to the side and runs full speed towards some person. And it all happened so quick, and she runs up and shakes his hand. And before I even had time to breathe or blink or make sense of what was going on and who this person she was accosting was, I did not accost him. J.J. <laughs> Hardy's handler quickly brought him away, but he I did kind of make a fool out of myself there because when I realized it was him, I didn't have time to think of something intelligent to say to him. So as I walked past him, I grabbed his hand and said, nice to meet you. Except I was not actually meeting him because he was not speaking to me. And he just kind of gave me a look like, yep, there goes another one and walked on past. I'm pretty sure he has quite a few women throwing themselves at him. But those baby blues, I mean, gosh, he's such a pretty boy. He is. He is. My top three, it was tough. Yeah. I also struggled with my top three because I'm a big JJ fan. I wore his shirt on Sunday, which, you know, let's not talk about Sunday's game. Nope. That's for the boys. We're keeping this oh, up. Right. Hot guys. All right. So, Miss Magnus, what's your number two? All right. I don't think anybody's going to argue with me. Adam Jones. Like, when he smiles, is there anything better? He, yeah. My number two. Is he also your number two? No. Oh. He's not on my list. Adam Jones didn't make your list. Have you seen this man smile? Yeah, he's got a cute smile. I'll give you that. But And um, have you looked at him? Man. Not to mention, he's got a great sense of humor. He just seems like he'd be I do really, appreciate a good sense of humor. He just seems like he'd be really fun to hang out with. I, I And I mean... I don't know. The, the gum chewing would drive me nuts. I don't think he's going to chew gum all the time. Well, I've never hung out with him, so I... I have to assume. And if he did, I'd be all right with that. <laughs> all right. Who's your number two? My number two is Jake Arietta. I sort of forgot about him. I know. Well, it turns out if you go on Google and you type in hot Oriole players, Jake Arietta comes up over and over and over. And for a really good reason, he's beautiful. 
I'm a little bit impressed that you thought to do your research by Googling hot Orioles. And I'm a little upset at myself that I didn't have that idea. I really forgot about Jake Arietta. Good pick. Yeah, he's, he's a pretty boy. I struggled. I almost made him my number one. Really? Yeah, I did. All right. Well, my number one will mm-hmm. come as mm-hmm. no surprise. Manny, I love this kid. And I know that he is much younger than I am. And that he's going to take some flack. But hear me out here. Manny came to our team at a time when things weren't looking so great. And I just remember when they called him up, Everything changed about the Orioles organization. All of a sudden, we went from a team that had been losing and had been doing so-so and okay, enough to get your hopes up, but then crush your dreams. And then Manny joined the team. And I know it wasn't solely Manny that Buck played a large part and all of our guys played a huge part in this. But to me, in my mind, Manny joining the team just kind of changed my feelings about Orioles baseball. I've been with Scott for a long time, a long time, a long time. And every April started out so full of promise and so full of hope and just passion for Orioles baseball, no matter what the prospects were for the team. And about August, he would go into this depression because it just became clear that another losing season was Coming our way. I'm impressed he made it to August because Jake couldn't make it much past June. But the year they called up Manny, all of a sudden, things changed. And that just made me love him even more. And not to mention, he is adorable. I mean, I mean, just look at that face. He's adorable in the way that your son is adorable. No. Like... No. I don't think about my son the way I think about Manny. (laughs) Let's let's make that clear. Well, like... Mm. Okay. That's an interesting choice. Manny is your number one hottest Orioles player. I just don't get hot from him. I get like super cute, nice guy. He's practically a baby. He could have been one of your students. Oh, I didn't think about that. My sister named her dog after him. You know, he's cute. I totally think he's cute. I love the ears. I think, you know, he's cute. All right. Well, impress me with your number one. I'm still a little disappointed I forgot about Jake Arrieta. Well, you know, I did my research. But clearly, we're making a list about hot guys, okay. not baby boy cute. So Nick Markakis is the obvious choice for number one. And I totally agree that it has to be the groomed, not just walked out of the woods, grizzly bear Nick Markakis. But he does that, I think, for a little bit of the reaction on the offseason, knowing perfectly well that he's drop-dead gorgeous and can I guess get away when, with it. When you're that gorgeous, you can do whatever you want. I mean, Yeah. I think so. So that's our top five hottest Orioles. I don't know how the boys feel about their top five hottest Orioles, but I don't know that they'll get into a segment like that. (laughs) Here's hoping. They could probably rank the wives. I'm sure. But I don't know what Scotty would do now that we can't include, you know, whose wife. Mm. Oh, darn. Too bad for Scotty. It's been a little more peaceful without him, though, because he won't mention him. That is true. I hear Mrs. Davis is pretty hot. Yeah. Notice he didn't make our list, friends out there. He's not my type. He just doesn't do it for us. I'm sorry. I like the cute, pretty boy. Yeah. With the big ears. Hey, I've heard he's got little itty-bitty ears. (laughs) Happy Mother's Day, Birdland. Now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. 
I do, I do. Good night, Baltimore. It's sad that we remember each other's husbands. We obviously don't listen. Here they come again. Mm-hmm. Catch us if you can. Mm-hmm. Time to get a move on. Mm-hmm. We will yell with all of our might. Catch us if you can. 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 All right, Jake. Um... There's been talk on uh, MLB trade rumors about the Orioles looking for a backup catcher. It was Matt Wieters now going on the DL for 15 days. Um, the question is, should the Orioles be going out there and looking for additional catchers besides Steve Clevenger and um, Caleb Joseph? Well, let me ask you something. Sure. How long has it been since you've gone a year without hearing, at some point, the Orioles are looking for catching depth and backup catchers? Um, ever since Dan Duquette has come into this organization, we have always heard that. Yeah. So my question would... But this is the first instance where Matt Wieters has been out for a significant portion of time as well. Right. So my question would be, does this have something to do with the fact that the Orioles feel that they absolutely must address their catching situation without Matt Wieters? Or is it simply, this is their MO, they look for catching talent, and it happens to have caught the news cycle because of Matt Wieters? Okay. Both are very valid points. I think that the Orioles are always looking for getting a better backup catcher. That was one of the big stories coming out of spring training was, you know, the Orioles organization basically said they don't like the way they are looking. They're looking to basically unload talent in order to get a better backup catcher, which is the question we raised whether Steve Clevenger or Johnny Manel was actually going to get on this team or whether they're just going to go outside the organization and go get somebody. But, First of all, I, I hate the phrase unloading talent for a backup catcher. I, I know you don't. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you. But the Orioles are left with an interesting situation of if Matt Wieters is out for an extended period of time and if he's out for the rest of the season, the next season is his last season before he enters into free agency. So the Orioles do need to maybe perhaps potentially be getting themselves ready for the eventual departure of Matt Wieters in the future. Or at the very conservative end of that spectrum, hedging their bets. Right. So let's go through really quickly on who we have in the organization that I think is decent. Decent talent. Not great talent, but decent talent. Did I just see a tumbleweed go by? Yeah. Okay. Well, we do have um, Steve Kallinger, who has a 213 average, 272 on base percentage, 306 slugging, and a 578 OPS throughout his career. And he has an 8% caught stealing um, in his career. And so far, as of tonight, he is 2 for 14 this season in catching people on the base pass. 2 for 14. 2 for 14. Meaning... 14 people have tried to steal, and 12 of them have been successful? That is correct. Woof. Yeah. Um, Also, in a similar regard, we have Caleb Joseph, who has actually demonstrated some pretty decent success on the uh, base pass and throwing out 19% and 39% in buoy in previous years in a statistical line of 268, 327, 427, and 753. A very average of the road, you know, catcher but again has only demonstrated success in the minor leagues okay so he did really well in buoy um i'm gonna admit here i don't know how long he's been at triple a is it just this year it's just this year how did he do uh in triple a with the throwing out the base stealers mm, eh, not great right you know very much similar to steve clevenger okay so we've got two guys where it's basically open season for running the bases correct great yeah 
Is there anything else in the system worth talking about? Sure. We have Michael Ullman, who is a pretty highly rated um, catcher prospect down in uh, Frederick right now. He's got a 22% um, caught stealing, um, 253 average, 352, 380, and he's uh, 733 uh, OPS. So again, a little bit better than Caleb Joseph, um, both in defense and also with, you know, at the bat. But again, it's only in Frederick. Sure. Um, so it's safe to assume that there's no cavalry of catching arms in no, the minors. There is no Brian Mattis or Zach Burton or Brad Burdenson or anyone. Actually, like that. I think I think the problem is that we've got an organization full of Brian Mattis's and Zach Burtonson yes. and uh, Jason Birkins and what have you. Yes, um, but you're absolutely right. The catching depth in the Orioles is quite weak. Which raises the question whether the Orioles should be going out there and getting some additional catching prospects in order to bolster their organization, not just in terms of their backup catcher, but just kind of putting additional members into, you know, the weak minor league system that it is. Can you imagine right now what would happen if either uh, Pops Clevenger or Caleb Joseph got hurt? Uh, That's a very good point. That's a very good point. Um, Well, let's go through a few options in the major league level before we go into the minor leagues. I thought we just went through the Orioles' options in the major league level. I want to talk about options that if we were to go out and trade for them. Oh, we're going to go window shopping. We're going to go window shopping. All right, go ahead. So here are the window shopping options that I see. The one name that has been mentioned out there is Kurt Suzuki, who's currently playing with the Twins. Um, He is a very, very average catcher. Um, He's displayed a uh, half war for the past three seasons on average. So just better, just slightly above better than, you know, an average replacement player. Really raises the question to me of, is Steve Clevenger or Caleb Joseph any worse or any better than Kurt Suzuki? I'm really glad you asked that because you know I'm not the stats guy, but you talk about having to give up talent to get somebody who's just okay, mm-hmm. who's just average. I mean, do do we know at this point whether Caleb Joseph or uh, Pops Clevenger is going to be a, a net you know, zero for war? No, we don't. We don't. Um, and again, the other thing is Kurt Suzuki is only a one-year rental. He is a free agent after the 2014 season. Oh, by all means, let's trade something away to go get that. I'm just pointing out that you probably wouldn't have to give much up for him, so that's an option. Another individual that I thought might be interesting would be Russell Martin with the Pirates. He's certainly one-year rental as well right now, where he's only in the 2014 season. Yeah, but he's got that pinstripe stain that you just can't wash off. You're right. So does Steve Pierce. Okay, yeah. Fair. Yeah, okay, fair point. Go ahead. But he has shown his success in the American League East with the Yankees. Um, and the Pirates are continuing to struggle this year. They're five games below 500, seven and a half games out of the American League Central. Um, the Pirates haven't got any closer with doing a contract extension with him throughout spring training. I would really be interested to see if the Pirates might be willing to unload him for some you know, prospects in order to give the Orioles a chance to have Martin in their lineup. I think he would be an upgrade over Clevenger or Caleb Joseph, both statistically, defensively, and offensively as well. Okay. my I think my question, though, is at what price? But let's let's get back to that. Okay. Please, please continue. Um, another individual to take a look at would be John Buck, who is a veteran catcher. He's currently playing for the Mariners. He had a 1.6 war last year. But again, he's just kind of a you know a journeyman catcher. Again, question is: Is he any better than Steve Clevenger or Caleb Joseph? Don't think we've got enough data on Clevenger and Caleb Joseph to make that decision at this time. So you really are looking at getting a bunch of players that are currently major league ready that a aren't going to be a long 
you know, term organizational depth that the Orioles might be looking for, and B, or maybe not that great compared to what they currently have in their organization. All right. Here's where I think we start to run off the rails. Uh, and with all apologies. I think we've already run off the rails. I, I think that fans are often crazy. Okay. We're going to start talking right now about what we would need to trade away to bring in a catcher. Mm-hmm. All right. And I understand. We're all scared that Matt Wieters is not going to come back from this. I was scared the moment it was announced that he had something wrong with his forearm. But the thing is, is that you have to understand that to bring talent, you've got to give talent. Is that the way it normally works? And we finally started. Jim Johnson for Jamile Weeks. Right. We're finally <laughs> starting to build this minor league system to the point where we can have useful pieces. And I'm really uncomfortable with sending that away for a minor return. Now, I understand that a catcher is a huge position on a baseball club. I, I get that. And we've been spoiled, I think, with Matt Weider's contributions. Again, whatever he brings offensively has been a plus, a bonus. But defensively, what he brings to the position of catcher, I, I think that we take for granted. Absolutely. The other thing is that because we have one of the best defensive catchers of this crop, we think that it's just normal. We think that we're going to be able to send a Troy Patton away and we're going to be able to get Buster Posey or Carlos Santana or Yadier Molina. That's not the case. That is not the case at all. And if we're going to get a catcher that's going to bring anything more than the average value of replacement, we're going to have to give up a lot Mm -hmm. because those things are rare in Major League Baseball. I mean, think about the backup catchers that we've gotten in the last couple of years. You know, you're talking about a Snyder. You're talking about a Teagarden. I thought those guys were really good backup catchers. Mm-hmm. They couldn't hit a lick, well, except for Teagarden for that one magical half a season. But my point is, what are we really willing to part with from the minor league system? Or the major league system. Or the major league system to get that. Mm-hmm. Because teams are going to know that the Orioles need something, and they're going to have a price. Right. I'm very, very uncomfortable with the idea of going to acquire somebody because of the apparent need. And and I understand that there's a huge drop-off from Matt Wieters to Steve Clevenger. I, I, I get that. Mm-hmm. But at what cost is my question. Right. Well, I definitely think you're going to be giving up a lot because people know that you're in need. Um, one other name that I wanted to bring up at this time, too, was Jared Saltamakia, who you know I didn't think would be available now. But now that Jose Fernandez is out um, with season-ending injury— That's terrible. Yeah, it is terrible. It's a you know, heartbreaking situation because, again, you take a look at a young talent like that. And the Marlins have actually you know, absolutely thrived with him. Um, with him out of that you know, team, he's, they're going to go back to you know, a 300 or 400% uh, percent, uh, winning percentage team. So that's a terrible, terrible loss for the Marlins. But it does raise the question of, do you go out and look for Saltimaca, who's currently making $6 million a year with the Marlins, and say, hey, do you want to unload some of that salary on us and give us Saltimaca? It's interesting from two points, in my opinion. A, you get a backup catcher, but also you get a backup first baseman, and you could actually say, okay, we don't longer need Steve Pierce on this team. We could use Saltimaca instead. First of all, you take that back. We always need Steve Pierce on this team. I'm just saying in terms of roster optimization and bench utilization, it would be really interesting to have Saltimacchia coming off the bench or as a backup catcher. First of all— Or as your regular catcher. I think that Steve Pierce's uh, value as a utility player and someone who's dependable dependable off the bench is is huge, and I I wrote about that this week. Um, Saltimacchia is a rental, and— He's a rental, but he'd be a rental for three years because you get him for 2014, 2015, and 2016. 
All right, I'm intrigued. What will we have to give up to get Saltalamachia? Who, by the way, has the Red Sox stain? It does have the Red Sox stain. Um, you know, the, obviously the Marylands are going to be looking for young young pitching or a young prospect that's going to have a lot of arbitration years together. I'm thinking like an Ardrota Rodriguez probably would do it. Le- okay, okay. Um, stop for a second. Okay. Other teams are going to want young pitching. Yeah. How's our rotation doing this year? It's not doing okay. It's pretty bad. <laughs> our rotation is really bad. And where are we to rest our hopes? In the youth. Uh huh. Okay. So we're going to spend those hopes to get a kind of okay catcher. Saltimaka is better than a kind of okay catcher. Okay. At the cost of a Mike Wright or an Eduardo Rodriguez? Yes. you got to give up something. This comes back to the whole situation we were talking before when um, Porcello was on the block for Jim Johnson. And I was just like, we should make that trade. And you're like, no, let's not make that trade. We've got Jim Johnson. I'm like, you got to take these risks in order to get something. By the way, 2012 Jim Johnson, no way. 2014 Jim Johnson, you pull the trigger. You have to trade when they are at the most opportunity value. Actually, the person that would be most obvious to trade right now is Zach Britton. Because Zach Britton is at his highest value right now out of any player in the organization. He's probably not going to get any more valuable than he is right now. But again, at what cost? I mean, when you pull him out of that bullpen, it doesn't matter how many uh, great games you catch if nobody's throwing it well. Okay, that's that's fine. But again, he's still a relief pitcher. If you're able to supplement and say we have a backup catcher and a first baseman backup and also someone to take over a weeder spot for the next three years, that's pretty valuable to me. All right, look, I'm not saying it's stupid. I'm not saying that we don't need to start kicking the tires around the catching position. I'm saying I'm just saying that it's a good thing that we're not the GM of the Orioles. I'm saying that if we if we do get somebody, it's going to hurt. Yes. And we need to be prepared for it to hurt because it will. Yeah. And the other GMs are getting paid just like Dan Duquette is and they're going to make it hurt. Right. Now the only thing too is if you go and get Saltamaki, if you're taking off that 6 million dollar salary off of the Marlins cap, maybe that drops some of the need to give a prospect away but i still think you're going to be giving something up of, of, of value when when you are in dire straits like the orioles might be mm-hmm. you get fleeced right that's just what happens yes yeah. i want to go into two other prospects that i was looking at um and this is just they're not major league ready talent but you know if you were looking for a backup catcher these are two individuals that i think are interesting P- christian breath in the court with the triple a um braves organization is a really interesting player to take a look at he's rated the number 76 prospect according to major league baseball number two prospect um in the braves organization and the number five prospect according to baseball america he's a really good defensive uh, catcher had 30 percent, 32 percent caught stealing in double a and again he's a really good line drive hitter which i think would be a very good solution what why do the braves need a backup catcher they've got brian mccann Oh, but they have Ryan DeMount, and they also have two other catchers in their major league organization, too. This guy is being blocked, so he's not going to be coming up to the Braves organization anytime soon. So I understand Brian McCann because you say, oh, Brian McCann, I recognize him because he plays for the Yankees. No, he was a great player who played for the Braves. He was a great player, but again, I don't think you're looking at the other depth that is in the Braves organization. Which is why they could afford to let him go. Similarly, let's go into another one I wanted to pick out, which is Kevin Ploiecki with the Mets organization, and he's playing for the AA Mets organization. Again, he's a slap hitter, not a lot of power, but he's got you know pretty decent above-average defense. He's the number five prospect in Mets organization and the number eight catcher prospect, according to Baseball America. And I know what you're going to say is, why would the Mets trade him away? 
Well, the Mets have pretty much one of the best catching prospects in Travis Day Anard, who actually was brought up this year and is currently playing in the major leagues. He's an individual that's going to play for the Mets in years to years to come. So the question is, where does Kevin Ploiecki play in this organization? Does he serve as a backup catcher or do the Mets unload him for pitching talent? We already know that the Mets were looking at Zach Britton earlier this season for Ike Davis. Maybe it's a situation where you trade away Britton or another left-handed pitcher such as Troy Patton for Ploiecki. Yeah, I I think if the Oriole fans think that they're going to get a magic, you know, a silver bullet for nothing else than Troy Patton, they're fooling themselves. Well, there's two things here. I don't think you're going to get as much as you think you're going to get for Troy Patton, but Troy Patton actually has been a very good pitcher. Yeah, I just don't think for middle reliever we're going to get squat for him. Well, again, George Harrell was able to pull a lot out back in the days too, so let's not underhand the aspect oh, of— Oh, really? Yeah. Really? You really excited about Josh Bell and Steve Johnson? That was a good trade at that time. Yes, it absolutely was. Same thing it would be. But with, it had no impact in the club for the future. You're right. And again, Polecki might not have an impact in the future too, but you can make these trades with middle relievers. Why are we gonna make why are we gonna make a trade for a nobody? Because you don't have anybody better, possibly. You're telling me that Clevenger and Caleb Joseph are no better than the number eight catching prospect, according to Baseball America? Last time I checked, Caleb Joseph is not on the Baseball America <laughs> prospect list. It's because of his 28-year-old <laughs> career minor league player. Exactly. So I understand what you're saying. There's Sec- a few- secondly, though— well, Hold up a second. Let's, let's come to a few points. Number one, it's not easy to place Matt Wieters. As much as we give Matt Wieters a hard point, Matt Wieters is a top catcher. He's a top five catcher in Major League Baseball, in my opinion. Number two— there's not much organizational depth in the Orioles. If the Orioles are going to go out and get something, they need to have someone that, A, is not a one-year rental, and B, can actually be someone here if Matt Wieters were to leave in two years. And number three, it's not like the Orioles have a lot of great trade chips in the major leagues. It's not like you're going to trade Patton and get you know fleece somebody for it. And if you're going to trade somebody else, you're trading away young talent. That means you're trading away Mike Wright. You're trading away Gerardo Rodriguez. Um, heck, maybe you're trading away... If you're getting into a crazy situation, maybe you're saying we're going even higher than Bethancourt or Ploiecki, and we're going for Trevor Star- Deonard, and we're going to trade Wade Bundy. I don't think that's the case, though. I just think it's the situation of if you want to make a change and you want to go better than Clementer or Caleb Joseph, you're going to have to give a lot away. And I'm not sure that's the right move. Uh, I go further than that. I say I it's not the right move. Okay, It is absolutely not the right move. I, I know that uh, we panic without the idea of having weeders there. But I think that if this team is going to be anything, it's going to be because it's starting pitching comes around to being league average. It's going to be because the offense takes off. And by the way, it can take off without Matt weeders. Okay. If, if this team is going to win, we don't need a magnificent catcher. We need that league average catcher. You can't have an all-star in every position. I understand that. And I'm going to close out this segment of, I understand you want pitching and I understand you want hitting, but I also want defense behind the catching position. And I think we're ignoring how good Matt Wieters' defense is. You're not going to get Matt Wieters from any of these guys. You're not going to replace that. You can't get it back. Actually, I would argue with you of Salty Macchio's defense is almost as good as Matt Wieters if you look at it. I wholeheartedly disagree. Okay, that's fine. You can disagree, but the numbers are there saying Saltimaki is a very good defensive catcher. Mm. I see. Okay. Even though he has that Boston State. Right, right, right. Because of his D-war and his UZR. That's correct. And his and his uh, pitch framing. You also forgot pitch framing is a good one. And also range factor. Oh, his range factor. Range factor. Catcher. 
<laughs> he can go from dugout to dugout, can he? Yes, exactly. So speaking of stains, Jake, we're going to go through a few more numbers. There's definitely a stain on my resume. So we're right back. It's time to admit that I was wrong. You're kidding me. Not kidding. Yes, Jake, you were the boss this week. My category that we picked last week was first pitch strike percentage. He went with Miguel Gonzalez, much to my endless mocking. And I went with Darren O'Day. And uh, the week ended with 62.1% of the pitches thrown were first pitch strikes for by Miguel Gonzalez and 45.5% were by Darren O'Day. It's actually interesting, breaking up of the season, Miguel Gonzalez sits at 60.5% and Darren O'Day only sits at 52.6%. You know, it's pretty funny because without knowing the numbers, yes. when you asked me who throws a lot of first pitch strikes, yes. I kind of laughed at that, but you're right. You know, just your gut told you, right? I just made the assumption too, since I didn't research beforehand, that there's no way Miguel Gonzalez. So your gut, you know, I'm just not used to using my gut most of the time, but your gut is right. So, well, you know, a stop clock twice a day. Yeah. So three, three, we're all tied up again. Jake, what's your category for this week? My category for this week, I'm going to go with a simple one again. Okay. All right? Because I'm not that kind of guy. My category for this week is number of walks. Number of walks. Over the next, uh, over the games, until we talk again on Monday night, which Oriole in the lineup do you think will get the most walks? All right. Um, wow. I'm definitely not going to say Adam Jones. <laughs> I'm definitely not going to say Jonathan Scope. You mean Adam Jones mini-me? Yeah. I'm actually going to go with Chris Davis. All right. I think that's a safe pick. Yeah. I myself am going to go with Nick Markakis. Okay. I think that's a good pick, too. The only other person that was in my head, too, would be maybe Nelson Cruz. Just because you don't think he'll see as, as many good uh, you know pitches because of what he's been doing of late? Yeah. That's kind of what I'm thinking. But I think both of those are very good choices. So we will see who will own it. And, Jake, with that, I think it's time that we ruminate on who was good, bad, and ugly from last week. That's right. It is that time again. It is time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now, in this segment, we break down over the course of the week who had a great week for the Orioles, who had a bad week, and, well, who just embarrassed us to be Orioles fans. When it came to good this week, we had a lot to pick from. And I want to give honorable mention. I'm going to cheat, Scott, because this is what I do. You cheat. I'm going to give honorable mention to uh to steve pierce because he was just he was mr everything he was mr everything this this week week. yeah and that was especially important especially uh when roster decisions were being made but i'm gonna go one step further my good for this week was wei in chen wei in chen had a great start he went seven full innings 
with two runs, uh, two earned runs or five hits. He gave the team exactly what it needed, exactly when it needed. As we've been deriding this starting pitching staff all all season, it was really important for Chen to have a solid outing, and he did. So my good for this week, tip of the cap, way in Chen. Okay, my, my one was actually going to be Steve Pierce because of how great he played. But I'm going to go with somebody else that we've been giving a hard time to, especially someone that I'm looking at, and that was Adam Jones. Adam Jones this week had three home runs. Um, had a weighted on base average of 416, only to be outdone by Steve Pierce himself with a 562 weighted on base average. Um, his stat line across the board was 320, 308, and 680 for slugging. But it was interesting too because Adam Jones actually had a pretty poor week in terms of Babbitt was concerned. He only hit 250 for Babbitt. So maybe this is a sign that Adam Jones is starting to turn things around and he's going to be, you know, the Adam Jones that we saw last year. So Adam Jones gets my good for the week. Gosh, I hope so. We desperately need it. All right, my bad for this week, my bad is Chris Tillman. Two games, no decision or loss, 11 innings pitched over those two games, six earned runs given up, nine hits, seven walks. That's, that's pretty bad. And it's been the first inning. The first inning has killed him yeah. his last two starts. Two starts ago, it was a 49-pitch first inning. Uh, the second start, it was three runs given up after he couldn't find the plate. This is your number one starter. People tried to use the moniker ace. We need better than that. Yeah. There's no way that we can sustain any kind of winning as he, if he's going to have even a rough patch. I'm not saying he's a bum. I'm saying our number one pitcher can't have back-to-back starts like this. Right. My bad for the week is going to go to Matt Wieters. Matt Wieters, four games, 18 plate appearances, went 167 across the board, no extra base hits, had a weighted on-base average of 149. Matt Wieters was announced as being injured partway through last week. And I think it was a basically a situation where it was a bad mishandling. I think if this was a situation where they wanted to give him rest, he should have instantly gone on the DL to basically push him back there and say, Oh, we're going to have you still hit. I think it's a bad situation, both for Matt Wieters and for the Orioles. I think this is just a bad, 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 bad situation on the Orioles part, not to give him the rest that he needed. Baltimore Orioles, you're on notice. Matt Wieters feel better. You're bad this week. Cannot agree with you more. My ugly for this week is David Lowe. And Lowe has been close to useless. In six games in this past week, he has had two at-bats. And though he has had a couple of dazzling plays in left field as a defensive replacement, he brings almost nothing to this ball club. Buck Showalter, who values defense above all else has not seen fit to play him except on Sundays when it's the B lineup anyway. And what he's doing is he's pulling down a desperately needed roster spot. We had a roster crunch with Matt Wieters going on the DL and it's possible he could have stayed in another situation in which Chris Davis didn't have to come back. Lowe is holding down a roster spot and giving us almost nothing. And for that, He's my ugly this week. All right, my ugly for this week is going to go to ninth inning saves by Tommy Hunter. It's been very, very ugly to see him come out and, you know, give up that first hit single, first out bar, yeah, first single, and then kind of, you know, make all this loose hair and put a pace into our carpet. But you know what, Baltimore fans? I don't think it's actually been as bad as what we think it really is. Yes, Tommy Hunter did have a blown save there, but I want to go through his numbers really quickly. 
So far this week, he had a 9.82 Ks per nine. Walks were just really high. It was 7.36, so that's a, you know, not encouraging sign. But I want to go through his other stats. His BABIP was 571 this week. There's no way that's going to continue. And his ground ball percentage was only a 23.1%. His ERA was 9.82, but his FIP, on the other hand, was rated 3.36. Yes, Baltimore, when Tommy Hunter came out this week, it was ugly. But we got results out of it. He had no losses during this situation. And thing that with my opinion is it's not going to stay that way. Yes, it could be a little sweaty. But honestly, it's not Sweaty Freddy out there. It's big game, Tommy Hunter. Relax, Baltimore. We've got a closer on our hands, and his name is Tommy Hunter. So with that, Jake, I think it's time we uh I think it's time we blow the save. All right, I'd like to blow the save with two things this week, two quick things. The first is that it was a little bit of a rough week here at Bird's Eye View, and I just want to thank everyone who sent us kind words, who uh, supported us through this stupid iTunes thing. Uh, it, it was really a nice way of knowing who's in your corner and who's not. We we just are flattered uh, beyond all measure of the, the emails that we got, the, the tweets. Thank you so much. This This whole thing was dumb. And it's over now, but thanks to everybody who was so nice about it. A rough 24 to 48 hour period, but we're going to come back. We're going to come back strong and um, we're going to do some long-term planning. That's all I can say. Do some long-term planning. Secondly, uh, I think it's important that we thank the girls for their uh, portion of today's show. Uh, Except for your wife naming two ex-Orioles. She's entitled to her opinion. She's she's wrong. Um, yeah. <laughs> Beyond that, you know, uh, they are very supportive of us. They are very tolerant of us in general and also with our, our baseball obsessions. Um, and they are doing quite a good job of passing on that Oriole obsession to the next generation. They make fantastic mothers, and uh, they, they're a treasure. Thanks so much, girls. Yep. Thanks for being great Orioles fans, and thanks for being great wives, and thanks for being the greatest mothers of all time. So with that, Jake, I think it's time we bid everyone a fond farewell. In that case, Baltimore and beyond, I will say adieu, adieu. Good night, Baltimore. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.